Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. That's north of Indianapolis, a few miles, and it's a warm day here and in the 60s, but it's raining, So, uh, but we need the rain, so we're happy. Uh, we're really happy because the NCAA basketball tournament is all going to be played around the Indianapolis area. Can you imagine? And we are basketball fanatics here, so we're excited about that. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, and we're going to continue our, uh, our conversation about dual languages and um, some of the neat things going on in the southwest of the United States. And I'm happy today to have with us uh, Lucero Saldana, and uh, Lucero is uh, in San Antonio, Texas. Wow, San Antonio. That's a long way from Fishers, Indiana, but we're doing this via Zoom and uh, also uh, using uh, the GarageBand from, uh, from Apple on uh, iMac. So, hello, Lucero. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you doing over there in Indiana? Muy bien, eh? It's good. You know, I'm, I'm really doing good. It's, it's uh, warm, right? And... We're excited about the basketball tournament coming up. It's going to be here for a long time. I think we have all the games in this central Indiana region for the whole country. So uh, it's going to be quite a basketball uh, uh, fiesta here. We're, we're really into that. Um, Lucero, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your family, and your education? Sure. So I'm not originally from San Antonio, Texas. They have, I'm actually from Northeast Texas in a small town called Mineola, Texas. Um, it is around 80 to 90 miles east of Dallas. Um, that's where my hometown's from. I actually did not, uh, we did not have any dual language schools. I was actually in the ESL program because Spanish is my native language. Uh, my family is actually from Mexico. Uh, my dad's from Santillo, and my mom's from Guanajuato, from un rancho bien chiquito in Guanajuato. And my um, education, actually, went to junior college in Tyler Junior College. Then I moved to San Antonio for um, UTSA, which is the University of Texas in San Antonio. And I also got my master's degree at UTSA as well in bicultural studies. And uh, one of the um, – my major in um, – my bachelor's is Mexican American studies, which is uh, what I do focus in my everyday life, Mexican American studies. Wonderful. Now, here's a question. Are your parents in the U.S. now? Or are they in, still in Mexico? No, they're still here. They're, they're actually, I live in their house. <laughs> so we're all okay. living in the, under the same roof because of the pandemic. So do, you, yeah, they're here. do you go back to Guanajuato very much? or? You know what? I actually went back... Um, actually visited Guanajuato for the first time I want to say two years ago and it was a beautiful place seeing uh, my mom's ranchito right <laughs> I didn't know um, the history behind it um, there was barely any water and electricity <laughs> they barely got that maybe a, maybe a year or two before I got there and it was just a wonderful place just walking to each household and then um, getting to know our family members that I didn't even know existed and we saw, oh my God, my grandparents are no longer alive, but we saw family members from both sides and I saw their faces. I was like, oh, you're 
I can tell you're part of my grandpa's family because you guys have the same features. You don't even have to tell me that you're related. I just know. And it was just a beautiful uh, experience to go back to the motherland, right, where my mom's from and my uh, my tia too because my tia is my second mom and see their family members that they haven't seen, oh, my God, in over maybe 20 years. So... It, do, did you get into the the city itself, the capital, Guanajuato? Did you visit there? No, I just went yeah. to the, the small ranchito where they're from. Um, we actually just went to Saltillo and then to El Cuesillo. That's the small rancho they're from. But it's near San Felipe. And what a cultural thing those itos are, right? Ranchito, hermanita, sí. right? Abuelita. Yeah, all of those hitos from Mexico, right? It's such a beautiful thing. And you know, Mexico, is, is, their culture is full of the hitos and, and the modismos mexicanos and uh, a lot of neat things like that. Um, so what about uh, your involvement in language associations? I know uh, uh, I met you via uh, the Zoom room. We, we were in a presentation by Guero Loco a couple of weeks ago. And... Uh, uh, do you get involved in the Texas language organizations like the the state organization, et cetera? Yes, actually, uh, I just got my, um, I got two panels uh, proposals accepted to the National Association for NABE, for the Language Association. So I got that. Um, also, I'm a part of SABE. We got, you know, I've been, I presented SABE before, SABE. Um, so I'm definitely a part of those language associations um, here in Texas, um, that's where we present uh, our work with Mexican American Studies. And when I say our work, I mean the work that me and some of my other um, other educators within my school we do um, around the city and also across the state. So um, yeah, we've been associated with those language associations for uh, quite a few years now. Now, is the national conference is that going? Where is that held? Like California or Texas? I believe it's, um, it is in Houston, but okay. it is a half, I believe, half virtual, half in person. Okay. Okay. And that's when? In the fall? More? Or in that the is coming up in April. Oh, actually. it's coming up in April. Wow. It's yeah, coming up it's coming soon. coming up in April. It is, I want to say, uh, I'm like, where is the date? It's definitely April for sure. I haven't even put the date in my calendar yet, but. Um, I'll get you those dates as soon as I remember. Okay, and if any listeners are going, be sure to check out Lucero. You're going to do a session, you said? A couple, yes. Couple, two sessions. We have two sessions going on. So one has to do with um, Mexican-American studies. It's called um, Moss Courses and Clubs, Strengthening the Mexican-American Studies Program. And our other session is called Zoom, Facebook Lives, and Curbside with Vets. The new era of dual language family engagement. Excellent. Wow. You're going to be busy. <laughs> so you're going to be really busy. Great. Super. Uh, now, what about your, your teaching experience in, uh, in uh, the uh, field of education? I know you, you teach, but you also have other things, right, that you're involved with. Yeah, so um, in my K through 12 experience, I started off as a special education paraprofessional, worked my way up to being a middle school writing teacher, uh, went back into special education, and then I eventually um, became a Mexican American studies teacher as well. 
and um, I also worked with uh, ELs. So my heart is very much in moms and in our EL population. That's where I thrive the most. And I, that's where um, my education within K through 12 happened. But I'm also a professor in San Antonio College, and I teach Mexican-American studies and humanities. So you are really busy, right? I mean, that's <laughs> really busy. Now, um, so do you, when you get involved here, do you, do you do a lot of community stuff as well? I mean, outreach things to the community, the Latino community? Yes, so I'm very involved within the community. Um, I am a part of the organization called Somos Mas, and we're an organization that really um, highlights and demands Mexican-American studies throughout our city and across the state. Um, with this organization, we were able to go and um, speak at the State Board of Education and demand that we wanted Mexican-American studies to be part of our curriculum. And because of that, the State Board of Education actually passed um, the ethnic studies courses that now um, schools can actually have those courses as long as they have, obviously, the teacher and the curriculum to back it up. Um, so we're really excited about that. And uh, now, recently that, we... Is that for all levels? I mean, like that's it's only for the high school for right okay, now. High only school. for the high okay. school for okay. the high school course. But we are working on a um, house bill. I want to say that Cristina Morales from Houston um, just came up with this house bill, stating that we should have ethnic studies requirement, especially within Mexican American studies or African American studies. That's like the two that we're highlighting right now. But we're all. We're also excited about this ethnic studies bill as being a requirement for, I believe she wants to do high school for right now, but we're trying to work our way to do K through 12. Now, if someone were not Latino, let's say, and uh, they wanted to take Mexican-American studies, they could? Of course. I mean, so take, I bet you get a lot of, lot of interest, right, from everybody. Yes, so um, it's definitely something for all students, for anybody, for sure. You don't have to be Mexican-American. You don't have to be African-American. You could be anything and take these studies. This, this actually helps out other people who are not within the culture because they get to know what really goes on in a certain group and how we can unite and do and just be a better nation right yes i think that's yes. what we need to we need to have we need to remember that it's not only a certain population it's not only anglo-american history which we constantly right. see within our curriculum right. we also have other histories that are not highlighted we Correct. don't have enough black history we don't have enough latin uh, latinx history um of course um in san antonio in texas we do focus on mexican-american studies because the mexican-american culture is really really rich within our state but i mean we don't have enough of asian american studies as well native american studies indigenous studies so yes it's for everyone to get to know our history because all these histories is a part of american history yeah now over the years it, in, in my travels in mexico i always it was really captivated by mexican culture and the the various aspects of mexican culture but what um what do you pick out of all? There's so much. I mean, there's a huge, huge amount of, 
basically everything, right? The music and the dance and the food and, and the sports and the idioms and the ethos and on and on, the familia and uh, the dias festivos and all those things. So how do you, it must be tough writing a curriculum, right? I mean, I'm assuming you've got to condense these things, right? Yes, most definitely. I usually take um, the interest of my students and I see what they want to learn. So that way I get them engaged enough and then use our culture to learn something brand new or for them to identify. Because sometimes within our students, um, they don't see themselves in their culture or in the curriculum. And that is extremely important within our K through 12 education. We need to make sure that they see themselves in the curriculum. So it just depends. I'm a very, I don't have one step curriculum. I always change what's going on, the learning process, just because I want to be very mindful of like what is going on within our, my students' history and background, and also what's going on um, currently within our nation. Now, what would... Um what would be some things that the students really like that you do in, in Mexican culture? What's some of their favorite things? So in Mexican American culture, what I've noticed, um, I love music and they do too, but they don't listen to the old uh, music that their parents used to listen, right? They listen to new genres of music or new subgenres. So, for instance, in the Mexican regional music, because in San Antonio we do have uh, quite a few Mexican Americans um, students, and uh, they uh, love going to quinceañeras, right? So they listen to cumbias, they listen to norteño music, and et cetera, et cetera. And I use that music in the curriculum so that way they're able to learn. Yes. English language arts. Yeah. They're able to learn writing. I mean, I've taught a lesson over corridos, and they wrote their own corridos, and that's K. That's in the middle school. Yeah, the cor- cor- Yeah, the corridos are huge, right? And the, and yes. they're, they're, they're such cultural things, right? With all the the little tales and, and stories, and uh, that can you tell the audience what a corrido is? Yeah, so it's a Mexican ballad, and um, corridos are usually from the borderlands, and it told a history, a um, a history of you know what was going on in the borderlands. And most of the time, it was concerning the Texas Rangers and concerned um, folk heroes, such as um, sometimes um, oh, one of my escaping Pancho Villa. So we had many corridos going on, but. Like nowadays, we see corridos um, that are from everyday people, right? Um, I have heard corridos over Vanessa Guillen, corridos over Black Lives Matter. And those are new type corridos that, you know, we we don't usually listen in the radio stations or, um, you know, across YouTube that often. But those are also very, really valuable corridos because they do document their Mm -hmm. oral histories. Mm -hmm. They do tell the history of what's going on right now. Wonderful, wonderful, beautiful things. So what about um, dual languages, right? Uh, how important are dual language, is dual language study in San Antonio? Is it is very popular, right? Yes. Um, I actually work at a dual language school. It's called Bonham Academy. It's K through 8. 
And um, we're one of the very first dual language schools here in San Antonio. Um, we were 131 years old. Wow. <laughs> the school is, yes. And um, the importance of dual language, I mean, I love dual language because it's a way to communicate, not only within our community, but across the world. Because <laughs> we get to communicate with other people, with different languages. It's a beautiful thing. And it is... Um, there's opportunities to be trilingual, multilingual, take those opportunities. Yes. You will get to know more people and speak to them and um, just, you know, socialize with them. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, that's what human culture is all about. Now, socializing. Is, it, is it obligatory to study the, in the dual language in the programs or is that an option that people have, the students? So at our particular school, you do have an option. Um, you could do dual language, or you could also have a monolingual strand as well, just depending. Uh, but we do have um, more dual language students than the monolingual students. But even if you're studying mono, even if you're in the monolingual strand, you will get that aspect of dual language because well, everyone in the school speaks both languages for the most part, and the cultural, it's bicultural, so you see everything. Even if you're you're like, oh, I only speak English only, you know how to say hola, como estas, buenos días, you still know those little phrases. Beautiful, yes. So this, um, this um, dual language, so for the listeners, Dual languages would be then, let's say someone is taking Spanish with English, right? Uh, or Russian with English, right? Or, I mean, it could be French with English. I mean, it could be a, a variety, right, of different things. Is that correct? I mean, it just depends on what schools. For our particular school, it's English and Spanish, because um, that's mm -hmm. what the language is that I was spoken here mostly in San Antonio. But if there's you know, other options to speak other languages. But, That's a beautiful thing. But dual languages, though, does, it, it has to involve English, though, right? Mm -hmm. It's one language plus English. Whereas bilingual education is more focused probably with the, with, with Spanish, correct? I mean... Uh, yes, correct. Yes, uh, that was kind of what I would, would, would make of that. So, uh, unfortunately, there's dual languages... There's a little bit in Indiana. I don't think there's a lot yet, you know. I mean, there's some, but but there should probably be a lot more. I think so. You know that uh, that would be really nice. Um, so, what about writing? I noticed that you write, uh, have written quite a bit, right? So, what what do you like to write about? So, my research, um, when it consists of writing, is over a music. And it's over um, Mexican American um, Mexican regional music. And most of the time, it does come with the Mexican American perspective, the Chicano perspective of that type of music. And um, yeah, that's um, basically <laughs> what I do is a field study called ethnomusicology, and I study the cultural and social aspects of the musicians and its listeners. Mm -hmm. So. Would that be with a focus on Mexican music? I mean, right now, today, or the past, or present, or how would that work? Yeah, it just depends. For me, I usually use music that is currently um, popular mm -hmm. or currently um, 
musicians that are currently creating music. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, I could tell you that uh, my current um, band that I'm researching is called La Zenda Norteña, and they're a Norteño sax group mm -hmm. here in El Paso, Texas. And they are a really great <laughs> band. Um, if you get a chance, please follow them on all their social media networks. And um, it's just a beautiful blend of basically Mexican American um, music, but yeah. obviously, obviously, it's more highlighted as Mexican Mexican music. So, so I researched them. So give us a, give us that. Could you give us please give us that one again? The name of that group, so we can. La Zena Norteña. And could you spell it for the listeners who don't know Spanish? Yeah. So it's Z. E D N A and Norteña, so it's an L R T E N A. Okay, now here's the next question I was going to ask. So the kids, do they like the Mexican singers? You know, the, is or, or, how is that going with the Mexican singers? When it concerns Mexican regional music, there, um, uh, some of the biggest um, subgenres that they're listening to are uh, definitely the um, uh, narco corridos. They're listening to um, norteño sax. They're listening to a lot of cumbias. I mean, if you want to broaden the aspect of music, I mean, reggaeton and Latin pop is also <laughs> involved with that. So it just depends on the student itself. But that's kind of what I'm seeing within our students here in San Antonio. Okay, Lucero, what about the situation with immigration in the USA? You're down in San Antonio. I know it's a lot different than the situations we're facing in here in Indiana and in, in the Midwest, and you're down where everything's happening all the time. Uh, the, the, the immigrants are coming across the border down the, in that area. So... How is that going? Is it, are, are we in a similar situation with President Biden as, as President uh, Trump did with the, his, the treatment of the Latinos? Is everything smooth or is it kind of shaky? You know what? Um, I'm not sure and where we're at in that. What I could tell you is we need a clear pathway to citizenship and it needs to happen immediately. I mean, these workers are essential workers. Um, they've been risking their lives for numerous years throughout our history, right? And they've even helped us out during this pandemic. Um, what I'm seeing right now is, yes, Biden is telling us that he is going to do, you know, the pathway for citizenship. But we also see some similarities that um, Donald Trump had in the past. So I'm still, I don't know. I don't know where it's going, but I, we just need a clear pathway for citizenship for our immigrants, and it needs to happen really soon. Yes. So would you feel happy if they, if the, the Congress passed an immigration uh, law and a bill that would make uh, the pathway legal and everything would be out in the open? I, I wish they would do that, the government, because I think this has gone on way too long, as you said, but we... We keep doing this, and we need to have policy, right? We need to have a bill, you know, that uh, we need to have this bill that uh, that uh, would be make things legal, that uh, 
the immigrants wouldn't have to be worried all the time and you know you know what can they do what can't they do etc and to spell everything out right and and as you said have a a, a doable pathway to citizenship. It doesn't seem that hard, does it? I mean, it, it seems to me like the, there's a good way to do this. But uh, it, I also think that Congress seems to be unable to do it sometimes, right? I mean, they just, I, for whatever reason, you know, they just don't seem like they're able to do it sometimes, you know, the, to, to, to do the right things. And then we end up with this uncertainty, right, all the time. Is that pretty much sum it up? Yes, and also I I believe that we need to have we need to be in politics. Our people need to go into political office so that way we won't be in this situation. We need to go ahead and have more representation within our government. That's another reason why we haven't been able to pass it. As yes, well. yes, we, absolutely. We don't have enough of us in politics. Yes, exactly. Well, and we and we certainly are. In, we need to have. Uh, more representation of the minority groups, of which there are lots of them. We've got the Latino groups. We have the Asiatic groups. We have, of course, the the black the black uh, folks who, you know, who really have to struggle as well. I mean, there's just a lot of things we need to be doing uh, to to bring these people into politics, right? As you said, and but I I, ha- I was very encouraged by President Biden with his cabinet, right? His cabinet because he had such a beautiful representation of many cultures. And I thought that was one of the first times we've ever had that. And so I, that part, I think, is good. But I do think, as you said, we have to get on this immigration situation and improve it for, for the Latino people. And uh, uh, I know in Indianapolis, is, it, this happens all the time, but there are people here in Indianapolis who don't have their papers and and they go through and they kind of live this in, in this invisible society, right? They don't, they can't talk about their situation, and uh, because they don't know what's going to happen to them. And uh, yet, if we didn't have these people here, restaurants probably would not be open. We wouldn't have hotels open. We wouldn't have uh, our yards looking really nice, and we wouldn't have, uh, you know, products coming from the from the crops and, and, and out in the rural areas. And it, they're very important, as you said, the, the 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 immigrants. And without them, we would we couldn't do this. And so I would also like to add in that I mean, even though most of our immigrants do those type of jobs, I also know of educators, bilingual educators, who are also undocumented right now in San Antonio, and that are in the struggle as well because they don't know what their future holds. No, because of the yes. situation that's going on. Yeah. And we definitely need to go ahead and pass some kind of policy, a clear pathway for citizenship, yes. because these immigrants are the backbone of our nation. Yes. And, and it could be, right? It could be, you know, you work here six or seven years and you can have a, you know, and then you, you can get your citizenship, you know, and have a pathway, as you said, so that they have a goal, right? And, and they know what they're doing with, with their life. And it's... Uh, and they do so much for our country, you know, the, for those folks, and and uh, they're 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 kind of like our unsung heroes of what they do for the country. As you said, they have jobs on the front line through COVID. The same thing, they work in the supermarkets. They're, I mean, they're everywhere and and working and helping. And so, you know, I think that's the minimum we should be doing is taking care of those people. 
who've helped us so much over the years and continue to do so. And the other problem is we need them because uh, they're, you know, their grandparents or the, the older workers, you know, have retired or many have passed away. They're older. And, and so we need to replace these people, too. Right. We don't we're not going to have anybody working, you know, helping us at all if we if we don't find a, a pathway to citizenship. Um, so um, what about the um, stereotypes of Latinos in the U.S.? Is, do you notice that as Probably not as much in San Antonio as is the, the way they're stereotyped here, or not. Oh yeah, we notice that in San Antonio, even in San Antonio, we notice stereotypes. I mean, there's stereotypes of obviously what the former president has said of drug dealers, rapists, and all that great stuff, and that's obviously not true. Whenever these no. immigrants are coming here for a better life, they're human beings trying to survive, right? Correct. Um, stereotypes of um, people of uh, minorities being uneducated and that's also and that's not true as well because yes an education sometimes means um, going to school having a degree but we also have um, education when it comes to you know our abuelitos abuelitas they also are educated in their certain ways right especially yes. when it concerns comida like food how they create their food or how they grow corn from their backyards they have a garden and that's a beautiful thing so they have education too it's just not the norm education that we're used to yes exactly exactly and then the other beautiful thing the latino of uh, culture brings to the table is a great interest in family right i mean the family is so important and I, I know uh, the time I spent in Mexico, all the great uh, people that I met with their families, and uh, it was impressive how close the families are. And I think they bring, have brought that to the U.S., which has been one of the great things I think they bring to our country because it's a great example for everybody, right? Look, you know, like you said, you talk about your grandparents and your parents and and all your relatives and how you get together, right? And the quinceañera, you know, which is still done, right, in Texas. I'm sure oh, it's yes. very popular, yeah. The quinceañera, the, the, the celebration of, the, of, the, of the, the, the gals when they reach 15 years old. And, uh, or quinceañero, too, because I've been to a quinceañera. Yes, yes, same for the, for the guys, yeah. So, uh, but it, it's really, really important, I think, that this family ties that really makes uh, the Latino culture very different, you know. It's uh, and I always f- I I found very often in Mexico, dealing with the Mexican people a lot that that they were much more open, you know, to talk. They were open and 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 more expressive. I think sometimes in our culture is right, and you you probably see that. But you know, the people from our culture sometimes it's kind of. Uh, you know, people are, it's kind of a closed type, you know, we'll, we'll talk, but we don't really talk like the Latinos do, right? You know, and communicate the same way and, and, and openness that's available. So is, does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, sometimes the elders have a lot of stories to tell us, right? A lot of cuentos to tell the kids and the grandkids. And sometimes as um, little kids, we don't truly understand what's going on or sometimes we don't um we don't pay much attention to it 
Yes. But then as in our adult lives, we want to know those stories because that's our history. That's our oral history being said through our family members. And those oral histories are really valuable to who we are. Yes. Very, very important. And so this, um, um, your thoughts on studying Spanish, for example, or Mexican-American culture for people who are not Latinos, you know, just people, American people who were born in the U.S., right? Uh, but, but you know, and I don't mean, I mean, United States-born people because uh, Mexico, the Mexican people are Americans, right? Mexico's in North America. So, uh, but the people born in the U.S. who are not natives or have no ties to Mexican culture, do they have a big interest in San Antonio and taking Spanish and Mexican American culture? Is there a big um, Yes. When it concerns the dual language, we do have a quite, quite a big um, group that does want the dual language aspect of it. So they definitely want the English and the Spanish um, they want their kids to learn both languages because they see the value of both languages within San Antonio. Um, also, when it concerns Mexican American studies, um, students usually um, explore the history and the culture of Mexican American studies. Um, that's usually not taught through K through 12. Um, and studies show that um, their attendance increased, their grades increased, their critical thinking skills increased. So, why wouldn't you take? like another language, why wouldn't you take another ethnic yes. studies course whenever we see that these studies have said that everything increases. It's for better. Yes. For the students. Good. Absolutely. Now, um, do you have any favorite places to visit that you like to visit? Oh, favorite places in the, like the U.S. or outside <laughs> Well, at first the U.S., right? And then we'll do outside. Okay. So inside the U.S., um, I went to visit Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Santa Fe. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> so right now. Yes. Santa Fe is beautiful, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's another place, right? It's just so magnificent. Yeah. What a great place. So what about outside of the U.S.? Outside of the U.S., the only country I've been to is Mexico. But um, I would say I love visiting El Rancho, where my mom's from. And I also love visiting Oaxaca. I've been to Oaxaca, um, and I've seen the ruins of Montalban. I mean, I've done the whole entire yeah. tour of everything in Oaxaca, and I just absolutely loved it. It's yeah, a it's beautiful a Beautiful, area. beautiful place, yeah. So... Have, have you been, have you been to Guadalajara yet to Jalisco? No, I haven't, but that's definitely on my bucket yeah. list. <laughs> so I bet your dad knows a lot about Jalisco, right? The music, right? The ranchero yes. music and yes. all the great music there. It's uh, it's it's just a great place for music, you know, that Guadalajara. So do do people? I, I assume in San Antonio there are there are mariachi groups that still that sing in San Antonio. Yeah, my dad's actually part of a group. Oh, he is? Um, my dad, oh, yes, my he actually is a part of the trio. Um, they actually perform at the restaurants. Well, now with COVID, that's a little more difficult. So we're doing social distancing performance. Um, right now, because of COVID as well, um, there are quite a few uh, gigs that have to do with 
COVID deaths. Uh-huh. So my dad does get hired for those. But yeah, he's part of those the groups that you see, you know, sometimes if you come and visit San Antonio in the River Walk, obviously, but he's more within the west side of San Antonio. He'll um, play with the restaurants, in the restaurants uh, with his um, band members, and then funerals, parties, engagements, all that great stuff. Like he's definitely um, doing that, that type of music for do, those events. Do you have any favorite ranchero music or songs you like? Um, I just, it just depends on the mood. (laughs) It just depends, like, where you're at in the mood. Um, I really, I really enjoy a lot of, uh, the genre in general, just because it's very, uh, romantic in a sense. Um, so it just depends on what mood you're in, obviously for what event. Um, it's, um, it's just beautiful music. Right, and the yes. way my dad performs it, um, he takes it to a different notch. So I bet he does. Really. That's wonderful. Yes, that's like astounding. That is so nice. Well, you tell him I said hello, and uh, I will, and uh, that I admire him for you know carrying on the tradition of the Mexican music, which is huge in Mexico. Right, it's just totally huge. I I had the opportunity in Guadalajara to. Uh, uh, work with some people who were in the ballet folklorico and danced, right? And then other people in music I got to know over the years when I was there. But uh, but the music in Mexico is just, it, it, it doesn't stop, you know, the people. And they love to sing, right? You you know that from your dad. And the, I recall parties, little neighborhood parties. I was living in this little barrio in San Luis Potosí. And I was staying in a boarding house and they were, Mexican students there, college students, and and uh, they had a they'd have a neighborhood party, the different people in the neighborhood, two or three nights a week, to sing, and they bring their guitarras and they'd be cantando, cantando, you know, and so we'd hear El Rey, and then we'd hear Asia, and and then we had um, uh, Serenata Huasteca, and all these beautiful, you know, pieces of music, and. Uh, I know the influence of music, though, is, is enormous, enormous in Mexico. And, and it certainly, as you brought up about the Latino music today, you know, with the young people and, and all of that, and it all kind of mixes, right? And all these beautiful things, and you get all this beautiful music that's in its own way different, but it isn't, right? I mean, it still has its roots and, okay. you know, the Norteña music in the north and all these neat things. Um, yeah, you definitely can't. You definitely can't have today's music without the music from back in the day. Uh-huh. It's so it's so precious. That's why people create more. They're inspired by that type of music. Do you have any Spanish speaking country you'd like to visit? Oh yes, different. I, I like to visit. I would like to visit all the Spanish speaking countries. <laughs> what about like España? Them. Do you want to visit España? I would like to visit, yeah, I would like to visit Spain. Um, I think it's very interesting, their history, obviously, um, and the way they speak. It's a different way, uh, very Castilian, right? Um, But um, I would definitely like to visit Spain. Um, I think I would like to visit, you know, a a country I would like to visit most is Peru. Peru, yeah. I would love to visit Peru. Yeah, un lugar bellísimo, eh? Another beautiful país is, is Colombia. Yeah, Bogotá is a beautiful city. Beautiful, beautiful city, Bogotá. 
And uh, now that they have their drug problem pretty solved, so it's it's really nice now. I mean, it's very pretty safe and everything else, very safe. Um, so, um, the um, do you have any advice that you would give to people starting out uh, in uh, for teachers? I'm talking about Spanish teachers, just plain Spanish teaching. English is a foreign language. Do a language bilingual ed. What advice would you give young people starting out teaching today that you found out that really helped you? Yeah, get to know your students, get to know what their interest is, and get to know the community. Like, you have to know the community in order for for you guys to be successful within this program. Uh, Without community support, um, the school really won't be as successful. You need that community support. Uh, Make sure that you know everyone within the community use those resources i always brought in community members to my classroom and the students loved whenever they had those community members come in and speak about their experiences so and that's one of the the five c's remember the five c's of acfell you know in in, in communities one of them and, and and sometimes it's often neglected right i mean uh, yes. and i think more so probably in areas not where there's maybe less Latino population, but it, but the, the, the culture or the community is huge, right? I mean, it's just, and there's a, Indianapolis right now, there's a lot of Latinos in Indianapolis and they have their communities. And uh, 10 years ago, it was not that way at all, but they have their neat communities now and they have their, 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 some of them have big supermarkets, supermercados and, and then they have their, their restaurantes. And I mean, it's really impressive, right? But the teachers, as you said, they have to take advantage of those things when they're trying to, you know, teach the culture and the Spanish, et cetera, et cetera, right? So. Yes, uh, you need to be more authentic to the community that you're serving. You just can't just have a textbook and say, hey, this is what we're learning because that culture probably won't apply to your own community. So you have to know your own community and listen to the students because the students, if you're not engaging the students, the students are really not going to learn as much. They're not going to be, they're not going to be happy to go in the classroom. You need to make sure that you get to know your students and figure out a way to engage more. And it's, it's the fun aspect, right? As you said, it's the fun part that you have, the fun of it all. And, and you make it come to life, right, when you get out in the community and they can see and, uh, you know, whatever aspect of the community you're doing. But to, for the kids to be out there or travel, right, to travel, yes, exactly. to, to teachers yeah. that take their kids to the to the countries. I mean, what a blessing that is for the students. And there are a lot of teachers out there that, that spend a lot of time traveling with students, you know, and that, which is wonderful. And, uh, and we can't under estimate how important it is though right the community involvement the travel involvement so that the world becomes one right it's like we're all you know in this world together and it's not just you know people here and here or or not just uh, the latino uh, culture here the black culture and but we're all one right and i think that's the the goal that you're you're talking about which i think is wonderful you know that you've been mentioning 
I even went to the point where I brought in my students to conferences, to academic conferences, and they spoke about their own experiences mm-hmm. in the classroom. Beautiful. So that's yes. a community event that a lot of um, teachers don't take advantage of sometimes. Or even right now during um, all the Zooms, all the Zooms that we're in, you could bring in the community to your Zooms. I mean, yes. you go from a different state and ask somebody else, say, hey, can you quickly come into our classroom and do X, Y, and Z? And then you have a community. I mean, it's a virtual community, but yes. it's still a community. But it is, and it, we have to take advantage and use that. It's totally correct. Um, so what would you what would you say or a couple of items that would, could really improve the lives of the Latinos in the U.S. today? You mentioned the immigration situation. What are a couple other things that could be improved? Um, we really have to know our history within the United States. So that's why, like I said, I teach Mexican-American studies. We have to know who we are, what our contributions were here. And uh, we have to know contributions from other ethnic, ethnic groups as well, right? We have to uh, make sure that we are aware of uh, what is going on within the nation uh, politically. Mm-hmm. And let's make sure that we're voting. If we have the ability to vote, we need to make sure that we vote people that are going to take action and they're going to change policies for the better, especially when it concerns immigration policies. I mean, we really need to make sure that we're voting the people that need to make these policies go through. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely correct. And that everybody go out get out and vote and, uh, and that, that, that's a huge uh, thing to remember. And as you mentioned earlier, too, that, uh, that uh, you mentioned the voting and, and also that uh, the Latinos get involved in politics, right? That, uh, yeah. and, and the black folks and the Asiatic folks, everybody needs to be in politics more. And in uh, that way, we become one, right? We become the real melting pot that we're supposed to be, right? And... Uh, uh, very, very important. Now, I want to ask you one more question. What about your students now? Do you do you get a, a mix of students? I assume you get some students whose parents were born in Texas, right? San Antonio. And you get other ones, maybe, whose parents were, were or in, or in, they're not in Mexico, but they used to be in Mexico, right? And you probably get a huge mix, right, of different types of students. I mean, as far as where their relatives are at and what's going on, does that make it difficult or it probably doesn't? No, 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 it doesn't make it difficult. I think it doesn't make it difficult for me because I'm really aware of um, the Mexican tradition, the Mexican Uh, culture, but also aware of the Mexican-American culture, which is where they're... Um, the generate we see those generations being born here in the U.S. Right, so for me, um, like I said, it's making sure you know your students. If you know your students, um, it'll become a lot easier to teach those students what's going on, especially when it concerns the Mexican American students that sometimes um, don't know um, how to speak Spanish and they question it. Right, they question their family members and they're like, "Why don't I know Spanish? Like I know." Abuelita used to speak Spanish. How come I'm not fluent in that language? Mm-hmm. And there's always a history behind it, right? So mm-hmm. definitely have to know your students and make sure that um, you're teaching 
for your community. So, right. they're your community. So, um, this, um, this dual language, for example, though, so if a student were studying, he would be studying Spanish and English, correct? At the same time. Yes. Reading in Spanish, reading in English. And the yes. same thing, correct? He would read the same thing in Spanish, and then the other side would have it in English. Is that pretty much correct? For the dual what language is, program, that's pretty much what's going on, yes. Right. So, and do, um, you, do you find that very useful, right? And it works well? It just depends. Um, like I said, uh, I know I'm not currently in the classroom, but um, when I used to be in the classroom as an EL um, teacher, um, I usually did have both languages depending on the student. Um, if they needed both um, English and Spanish together, then I would use that or I would use music a lot. Music and art usually help me out and mm -hmm. um, get those visuals out for the students to understand what was going on in either or language that they needed more mm -hmm. assistance. Yeah, the visual, right? The, a lot, the visual, yeah. So, well, listen, thank you so much for being on the show. You have been uh, just a fountain of information, right? And I'm sure the listeners are gonna enjoy this program very much and especially the people who are, are living in San Antonio or the Texas area and Indiana and the Midwest, the East and the West. I'm sure the listeners are going to enjoy this. And you have been so gracious and kind and in a fountain again of knowledge and one of the bright, bright young stars of, uh, of language education, right? I mean, you, you're on top of your game and you're young and you're active and presenting and, and, wonderful things and so uh, we're really honored to have you on the show it's been a great pleasure and honor to have you and uh, I wish you nothing but the best and maybe we'll sometime in a conference we'll, we'll uh, meet meet and uh, and maybe I have no idea if, if you ever go to ACFEL do you ever go to the ACFEL conference uh, I don't but yeah. I'm willing to submit yeah. proposals for that conference yeah. too. you should you love that that's a great conference you love it but uh, I, I go to that one quite often. So, But you have been awesome, and I appreciate it. And you have a great rest of the day and a great rest of the week, okay? And say, Thank you so much. And, and saluda a tu papá de mi parte, ¿eh? No te olvides, ¿eh? Ya hay que hablar con él. Okay, muy bien. Okay, thanks so much for being on the show. And for the listeners, guess what? Our next guest next Thursday is a Grammy winner. Wow. And you'll find out about that So, uh, in, uh, with Latino music. And be sure to be here for the next week's show. And uh, again, thank you, listeners, for being uh, listening. And also, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the Apple podcast that we have. Okay, goodbye and saldana hasta pronto, okay? Y estamos en contacto, okay? Adios. Okay, adios.